1: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
0: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney alongside my co-host Matt Miller.
3: Every business day we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros and Bloomberg experts along with essential market moving news. Find the
2: Bloomberg Markets podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. The change in non-farm payrolls uh, for the month of June came in at 372000 That's better than the consensus of 265000 That's the good news. The bad news is it's less than uh, the month before and several months before that. Let's break it down with Jay Bryson. He's a managing director and chief economist at Wells Fargo. I think he's also a multi-time graduate of some small college or university in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, or something along those lines, but we'll bear with that. Jay, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. What'd you make of the jobs number here today, and kind of what's your take forward move?
4: Yeah, so uh, Paul, just, you know, go heels. I uh, was to say <laughs> that there. Uh, but um, yeah, so as, as you just noted, uh, so the good news is we created a lot of jobs uh, in June you know this is one of these good news is bad news sort of deals I mean I think it kind of seals the case for the Fed going another 75 um, at its meeting later this this week uh, or later this month rather so um, and and that's you know kind of why markets are you know the stock market is off right now suddenly you know recession fears are back if the Fed uh, you know gets really aggressive
3: so do we expect the Fed to get really aggressive Um, Are you in the 75 or the 50 camp for July 27th?
4: Well, yeah, so before this this number printed today, we were 75, and I think this just reinforces uh, our belief that they're going to go 75. I mean, I think the wheels would just have to com- completely off uh, between now and the end of the month for them not to go 75. And then I think it's going to be interesting where do they go from there? You know, if they, get, if they go 75, then you're at a Fed funds rate at roughly two and a quarter. That's starting to move into the range where most people in the FOMC would say we're, quote, at neutral, at that point and so that's what they seem to want to be getting to where policy isn't stimulating the economy anymore some of them jay
3: how do you measure get that by to, the way i mean i know that it's well, not an exact science but uh where, where do you do you use the taylor rule or what do you do to figure out so neutral what we
4: do yeah so what we do is we you know we kind of say so what do we think the uh you know the underlying real rate of the economy is. So that's probably somewhere where the real rate of the economy can kind of grow. That's probably somewhere around one and a half to two percent. Now, you don't want a real Fed funds rate at that high because, you know, the yield curve is kind of upward sloping. So generally. So, you know, we would put it somewhere around, you know, two and a half to maybe three would be in nominal terms where we would think the neutral rate would be. But, you know, as you just noted, it's it's certainly not an exact sort of of science.
3: I'm just trying to, on my Bloomberg, I have T-A-Y-L-Go, the Taylor rule, and you've got to plug in your own neutral rate. Um, No matter what I do, it seems like the estimate is way higher than anybody else's terminal rate expectation.
4: Yeah, and, you know, the Taylor rule was, you know, John Taylor estimated that, you know, years ago, and the economy has – has changed over time and and so um you know I, I think it would be it's probably not as high as what uh, you know many people would would think it to be at this point point. and your terminal anyway, ter-
3: terminal rate what do you think we get we get to here because with eight well, percent inflation a terminal rate of four wouldn't be out of this world would it in I, order think, to-
4: I think you're looking kind of around four and i think what's going to happen as we go forward here is that the Inflation, the overall inflation rate, and let's face it, the rate that's going to print next week for June is going to be another ugly print. But going forward, you should see the rates start to come down. I mean, what, what are we? You know, we're looking at commodity prices down pretty significantly. That will eventually feed into goods prices. You know, the wage number that we saw today, average hourly earnings, only zero point three percent. So we're getting some deceleration on, in terms of wages. That will feed into service sector sort of employment. So by the end of this year, if you have the terminal rate roughly around four percent and the inflation rate. It's still going to be higher than that, but as we move into next year, you should start to see a positive real Fed funds rate. And with all the other tightening that you're seeing in financial markets, credit spreads widen, the dollar stronger, stock, market, stock indices moving lower, that's all financial tightening. All those things put more headwinds on the economy, and we're afraid it leads to a modest sort of recession, you know, either late this year or early next year.
2: So is is that really the risk here Jay? cuz we again as you mentioned we do have some inflation metrics do are in fact coming back down. So it appears that maybe that issue can be put on back burner a little bit, but recession still on the table.
4: I think I think it is. I I just think it's it's becoming less credible to expect the Fed to be able to engineer a, you know, a soft landing here. Now, I'm not saying that's not impo- that that's impossible. I mean that certainly could happen. But whereas Before we saw these nasty inflation prints starting, you know, about a month or two ago, you know, we would say the probability of a recession or probability of a a soft landing was 60%. I think it's more like 40% now. And so the Mm, probability of a a modest recession next year is kind of like, you know, in in the 60% sort of range. I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Just, you know, given the the Fed's aggressive pivot here, Mm. given the, the amount of financial tightening that we're seeing, and, and the slowdowns in the rest of the world, all those things cause, um, you know, growth here to, to slow significantly and I think would turn, you know, negative on, on, a, on a, you know, a, a few quarter sort of basis. All
5: right. And, good stuff. You
4: know, more importantly, I think you're looking at negative um, employment prints.
2: Yep. All right, Jay. Good, good stuff. We appreciate you taking the time on this job Day. Jay Bryson, Managing Director and Chief Economist uh, at Wells Fargo and a proud graduate of the University of North Carolina. And a former economist at, at the –
3: Federal Reserve Board. Yeah,
2: I know. These guys get around. and then they.
3: Uh, He's got a strong resume, Jay. He does. Yeah.
0: Very good. We love having him on. Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Think or Swim, the powerful award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do, and sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success
5: is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L dot com. Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
2: I don't know where you go in terms of, you know, a nice... Uh, down middle market investor stocks down over 20% so far in the first half of the year bonds double digit declines pretty much everywhere you look including treasuries what do you do from here are we at or near a bottom David Katz president and chief investment officer of matrix asset advisors David what are you telling your clients here about where we go from here given that brutal first half in both stocks and bonds
6: After a miserable first half, we're pretty upbeat, uh, surely in the stock market for the second half. Since 1930, there have been five periods where the market has opened down more than 15% in the first six months. And five out of five, the market was up. the following six months and that was more than 15 percent in most cases so we're feeling pretty good about stocks and we can go into that in a little bit because there are a lot of other indicators that are pretty bullish on the bond side after a very poor start to the year we're still cautious about intermediate and long-term bonds because we think that rates can move higher still but for the first time in a long time we are very positive on six month to two- and three-year bonds, because you're getting about a 3% return, uh, we don't think rates are going to move up that sharply. So you're finally getting rewarded uh, for owning bonds, whereas a year ago you were getting 02
3: By the way, uh, so today we had this good news Uh, On on the job, at least better than expected news on the jobs front. And I guess the market then thinks the Fed can get more aggressive. Does that affect your outlook for stocks? I mean, if the Fed goes 75 and then, you know, 50 and 50, does that um, hurt your outlook for stocks?
6: If the Fed has to keep raising its 75 and 50s indefinitely, absolutely. But we don't think that's going to be the case. We are starting to see signs that inflation is breaking. You just ran that story about San Francisco housing prices or apartments coming down. Uh, we're seeing uh, lower labor pressure, which you saw today. The Walmarts and the targets of the world are discounting because they're overstocked in apparel and home goods. So there, you're starting to see some signs that inflation breaking commodity prices, copper, steel. Uh, have sold off very significantly. We think if inflation comes down, it's going to allow the Fed to be less aggressive in 2023. For the moment, they've got to talk a very hawkish game, but we think they're going to be less hawkish next year. That's bullish for stocks.
2: All right, so if we want to start uh, you know, maybe dipping our toe into this market, if we think most of the bear market may be behind us, what are some of the sectors that you and your team are, are kind of looking at?
4: So we like a
6: lot of things that have been beaten up this year, but we wouldn't be buying stocks just because they're beaten up. But the sectors that we like most right now are financials, consumer discretionary. We like select technology, communication services, medical technology and products, and some industrial. So pretty broad-based. The one area that we're a little bit less enthusiastic has been consumer staples right now. And we've owned a lot of consumer staples going into the year as they have done their job, as they have gone up when the market's gone down a lot. We've been scaling back on them. And we think that at this point, they're all about fully priced. We'd be taking that consumer staple money off the table, putting it into the areas that I just highlighted.
3: What about, um, you know, the last couple days, and this is, I guess, this may be out of your universe, but we've seen Samsung um, beat on the revenue side, still margin pressure. TSMC beat on the revenue side, still margin pressure. Are we going to see that this earnings season in the U.S. techs as well?
6: Well, you might continue to see some margin pressure, but the real key is going to be, are they able to get their inputs uh, and are they able to produce their product and is there demand? And if you can get through this quarter with a reasonable demand outlook, we think a lot of semiconductors that have been battered over the last six months are poised to do a lot better. So we like Qualcomm. They just rebounded about uh, $12 in the last few days, so I wouldn't chase it today, but we think that stock goes a lot higher. Same thing with Texas Instruments. We think it's a 180 to $200 $200 stock, you're getting a 3% yield. You're buying it at about 150 So, And you like and Cisco. It, and, and we do like Cisco. That that one has not moved yet, and we think it really is well positioned for the next 12 to 18 months. It's a very inexpensive stock, has a good yield. We think management is very much on, on the ball in terms of maximizing shareholder value. And we think the demand is pretty good. And as all of a sudden their input costs, come under control, which we're expecting to happen, in the next three to six months, and they get more product in, they're going to be able to ship out and meet that demand. Uh, And it's at a really inexpensive price at about 14 times earnings.
2: And David, you've got Meta on your list as well, formerly known as Facebook. So much noise around that name. How do you get comfortable with that?
6: Well, that's a a great point. So we do not like Meta management. We don't think Zuckerberg is a particularly good guy. We don't like their uh, uh, ethics. However, it is one of the most powerful brands in the world. You know, yep. half the population uses it every month. Uh, they have a great advertising model. They also have a lot of levers to control costs as advertising slows down this period. And and this is, you know, the most critical factor. It sells at about 12 times this year's earnings, and that, those earnings we think are understated. So powerful franchise, good long-term prospects at a great price. Uh, and we're willing to put up with management that we're a little bit less enamored with.
2: Yep, that's uh, that's certainly a call from some of the folks that uh, are looking at that name. David Katz, President and Chief Investment Officer of Matrix Asset Advisors, joins us. Well, the world, at least in the Western world, awoke to news of the horrific uh, assassination of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Um, And I think the market's trying to get a sense here of what, if any, are the implications for Japanese policies, politics and markets and get some perspective there. We welcome Ben Emmons, Medley Global Advisors, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy. Ben, you're out with a note this morning after the news uh, became public. What are your thoughts here as it relates to Japan and its policies and politics?
7: Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, it's obviously a horrific event, and it's something that um, you, d- you don't wish on anyone to happen, right? So clearly Japan being in a major mourning this, uh, today is, is, you know, really a shock for that nation that, that, that it happens, because that doesn't actually not happen at all uh, or, or rare, uh, this, this sort of event. But, yeah, there are implications. Um, you know, in, in, in Japanese politics, ABI was obviously significantly influential over the last decade, His three arrows policy was really trying to move the country out of the long-term slump of deflation uh, with some success, you know, because they they actually are out of deflation. I think as as this unfortunate passing has happened, um, you know, you could at least think that Kishida, the the current prime minister, has more leeway within within his uh, government, also towards the Liberal Democratic Party, what did they clash
3: on Ben? Uh what what did which direction did Kishida want to go that Abe was kind of steering him away from?
7: Yeah, I think it was all, all about like pro-growth policies and and versus redistribution of of wealth that that was the the, the, the clashing and most of all the of, of course you have have re- ultra loose monetary and fiscal policy under Abe and under Kishiba. Kishida Kishida that say could potentially be a different tone a different uh, shift there in terms of like direction because there's a lot of disaffection now with with inflation and the weak yen in, in Japan so will will Kishida could, uh, be successful now and and you know moving to the Bank of Japan and the Ministry of Finance into a different direction that's to be seen because they do have policy discretion but that the influence will become greater now because you know Kishida still had to much rely on Abe's political support for what he was doing uh, that's, I think, clear. So the yen yesterday did rally on that that uh, unfortunate news. Somewhat of a indi- small indication of yes, there's going to come at some point a a real policy uh, effort here to get not let the yen get so weak that it would lead to spiraling inflation in Japan.
2: So, what is the economic outlook been for um, Japan? We've seen just obviously you called out the the weakness in the yen that that we've all seen here. I mean, is there what are the growth prospects for the Japanese economy over the next several years?
7: It's it's not a good prospect because Japan is, is dealing with what we say in terms of trade shock because of the energy situation and the weakness of the yen, right? You're getting imported inflation plus high energy. And in addition to that, within Japan, there's a natural caution, right? And particularly when prices start to rise. So it. I think it's a it's a very modest outlook, if not negative outlook, and therefore um this and then if you're going towards the direction that you're going to restrain fiscal policy over time, then it it's going to be a weak weak growth outlook, which could lead to you know, return of deflation in Japan.
3: One of the key questions that investors probably have is will the Bank of Japan stick to zero point two five percent? Um, you know, because we've seen a lot of shorting of the yen and of JGBs to try and uh, push the Bank of Japan, maybe betting that they can't hold. What do you think?
7: Yeah, so far they have been able to uh, keep that twenty-five basis points right where it is because of that unlimited uh, operation. That the market doesn't seem to be able to really uh, conquer that. Right? As in, it, they can't fight that and not with enough firepower just yet. But it comes down to Matt that, that as the yen. Continues to weaken uh, because they haven't drawn any red line at, at 135 in the yen and maybe not even at 140 to, to the yen to the dollar. It, it could lead eventually that by 145 yen to the dollar, you really should change on the Bank of Japan policy that they're going to change the yield control. What does it mean? Likely means the midpoint of that range will shift to a positive number. And as a result, they're going to let that you know, band maybe widen too. And then you get that change. I don't expect that they will do what the Swiss Central Bank did in 2015. Suddenly, you know, let, let the Euro-Swiss uh, Bank uh, decouple, right? It's not like that, uh, that they're more cautious. So it does take us to a more weaker yen to ultimately get a, a change in BOJ policy. It's just that this political change that's maybe happening as a result of the horrific event could potentially influence that, that path to, uh, to that change of the Bank of Japan policy of UK of control.
2: Hey, Ben, let's switch gears uh, to the U.S. Uh, had some jobs numbers out today. Better than expected in non-farm payrolls, although uh, showing decline from the prior month. What's your takeaway and, and, and what it might mean or uh, how the Federal Reserve might interpret these numbers?
7: Yeah, this this means, Paul, that the Fed must go on, right? There's no reason to think of any pause or any downshifting and tightening whatsoever. Definitely not between now and, and September. And if anything... The, the, the wage pressures in, in this report are solid, right? And if it continues to be confirmed by the employment cost index and other measures there, thereof, then the possibility of even a, a larger hike in September is there. Right? The market is is, is carefully pricing that. Um, it also means that they, as they minutes outlined that they could move to even more restrictive stance if, if warranted. So. Having strong payrolls allows them to do that, right? It's, we're not actually in a stagflation environment, so to speak, like from the 70s. We're more in an environment of, yeah, economy cooling off with high inflation, but payroll's strong, so not a recession. Therefore, enough room to continue with these large rate hikes of 75 base points. So it cements July 75 base points, certainly 50 base points in September, or perhaps more, uh, given that, the, that you know, the momentum of the labor market remains strong.
3: How far do you think they're going to go, Ben, and uh, you know, could they turn around and be headed back down by the end
7: of next year? That's what the market tries to price, but I think that's actually a technical reason. It's more like the market's actually priced in complete front-loading of this Fed policy that we're in right now, meaning we're bringing up the, the funds rate as fast as possible to 3, 3.5%, um, and therefore you're seeing that mechanical slide down in the Eurodollar futures so I think it's more that we have to get to 3 3.5%. That's what they have indicated. They view is restrictive policy. From there, it would be that even more restrictive as the minutes outline. would that be 4%. That's still a bit of an open question, but they're keeping that clearly on the table. So I think 3 3.5% is, is your initial uh, target, which may as early as September, right, uh, if, if we're going to stay in this strong labor market.
2: All right, Ben, great stuff. Really appreciate getting your perspective there. Ben Emmons. Medley, Global Advisors, he's a managing director of a global macro strategy.
0: Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Think or Swim, the powerful award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do, and sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading.
5: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. All right, when I want to get back to this news coming out of Japan, the assassination
2: uh, of uh, pre, uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Uh, Andrew Monahan, he's the Asia Credit Managing Editor for Bloomberg News. He's based in Hong Kong. Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to, to join us here. Just give us, our listeners here in the U.S. and around the world, a, a sense of how profound this event is in Japan.
8: Sure. Good morning there. I, I happen to be in Tokyo this week, and uh, it's really a tragedy that's all the more striking because of the rarity of this kind of violence here. I think that's the first thing that stands out so much to so many people in Japan. Uh, gun violence and political violence is exceedingly rare. There there were no gun-related injuries or deaths in Tokyo last year, which is really striking. For Zero.
3: Me I mean, that's... Uh, that bears repeating yeah. there were no gun deaths in Tokyo last year um and i don't know uh, how it is nationwide but i think you could still count them on one hand and meanwhile in this country and obviously we have a history of um you know gun violence but we're looking at something like 45,000
0: yeah
8: it's just really uh, unbelievable and uh, there was no assassination attempt that, that killed a Japanese prime minister since World War II as well. So all these things together made it really uh, something that no one could what really about, imagine would ever happen here.
3: What about um, the man himself, Andrew? I mean, uh, I know you're a credit guy, so you're not you know a political scientist, but this— The Abe family and his maternal grandfather, I think, was prime minister as well. They are just a a dynasty in terms of uh, politics and his uh, his specifically Shinzo Abe's policy. Larry Summers said we're going to be studying this for for years um, in terms of, you know, just uh, cutting edge, trying out something new um, and the amazing effects that it had.
8: Yeah, he he really had a a, a vision that was singular. Um, he was a a, a, a security hawk, uh, but I think what he'll be remembered even more for is the fact that he was a, a fiscal uh, dove. He uh, had uh, his policy abinomics which relied on massive fiscal spending and. um, and very cheap money that the Bank of Japan was uh, was able to provide after the appointment of Kuroda, and um, it, you know it it just was a uh, a real epic change for Japan after two decades of stagnation economically. The Bank of Japan had been trying to achieve two percent inflation, which uh, in the context of 2022 uh, sounds almost quaint in a sense, but. It was so hard in Japan for so long because prices had been falling. It was the opposite problem. And Abe really wanted to uh, have companies raise wages. That's something that uh, even though he did achieve uh, some measure of his success stimulating the economy, the wage growth never was quite there. Uh, but the, you know, the lasting political influence itself that he has as the leader of the largest faction of the Ruling LDP party meant that he continued to exert a lot of influence politically even after he stepped down in 2020.
2: Do we expect, uh, or does the region expect any change in Japanese policies, economic or otherwise, with this event?
8: It's hard to say. I think people are still digesting the tragedy. First of all. But, you know, as, as traders are looking at what they're going to do next week and in the week at weeks ahead, there's a camp that seems to think that a, the, the loss of this voice who is such a huge supporter for the super easy monetary policy could have some effect in an era in which inflation globally is such a serious problem and central banks are getting increasingly forced to raise rates. Mm. The Bank of Japan has been a kind of holdout, that's caused a huge turbulence here in the financial markets in recent months, uh, with a lot of traders betting that the Bank of Japan won't be able to hold out too much longer. And so uh, one view is that, it, with Abe uh, sadly gone, that the Bank of Japan could, uh, could face a little bit more pressure now. There is another view, though, and... This assassination came before upper house elections this weekend. Abe was out campaigning for them, in fact. And that view is that there could be a kind of sympathy vote for the party. that have already been expected to
3: sure. win in
8: the upper house anyway. And if that should happen, then the view that uh, that you know the Abenomics style of policy could continue, particularly as it pertains to monetary policy, could hold sway.
3: Sure. I mean, look, after Kennedy was assassinated— LBJ pushed through the Civil yep. Rights Act that was so important to uh, JFK. and But we had uh, Joachim Felz on earlier, Andrew, from, from PIMCO, and he said it wouldn't be uh, – it, it is a possibility that the central bank, at least the BOJ, lets the – they have a 25 basis point cap, and they let it rise to 50. That wouldn't be, I'm hearing from um, so many people today, as sort of – Earth shattering as when the SNB let their peg slip. Do you agree?
8: That's right. Yeah, I think there has been a lot of sense among bond traders, in particular in the past few months, that this would be coming at some point. Um, so, you know, the, the sequence of events, I guess, is. Um, is that uh, you know the the market has kind of been preparing itself at least in pockets uh, for something like this, or the possibility of it. And if you you are of the view that the said uh, turn of events today uh, could increase the chances that, then you know you may be expecting that the yen would bounce back. The, the yen has uh, has fallen dramatically uh, in, in recent months and this year, and. Uh, for you know, for an export-driven
2: uh, yep. economy, obviously that has a lot of consequences. All right. Right now, let's uh, appreciate it. Andrew Monahan, uh, Asia Credit Managing Editor, uh, Bloomberg News, joining us, giving us the latest. I want to kind of get back to this jobs number because again, better than expected, although showing some some slowness uh, s- since prior numbers. Joni Biley, Chief Workforce Analyst at EmployBridge, joins us. Still looks us. pretty good. Still looks Still pretty looks good.
3: Still looks pretty good. Let's be fair. I mean, if I type in, I usually do eco-US or you I type yep. W-E-C-O and just punch up the American flag. Um, we were looking at uh, 372,000 jobs added, Joni. That's way better than the 265 in the survey, and the whisper number was even lower, but it's only a little bit off from the 390 that we had in the previous month, um, and that was revised up. So how does it look to you?
1: I think this was a really strong report. You know, the labor market continues to be this bright spot in the economy. The demand is so strong for workers. Uh, You know, 11.3 million open jobs in the United States. So there's really like two jobs for every one person that's out there looking. Uh, But we have a challenge. We have a big challenge that we can't get people back to work. Um, And I think... That will slow us down, um, is the labor participation rate. We continue to just hover at that 62.2%. We're really not seeing much movement in that area. And and that's a big challenge.
2: How about that 5.1% wage year-over-year number? How did you, what did you make of that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think we've seen that kind of as a steady mark uh, in recent reports, you know, that we're looking at 5% year-over-year Uh, The challenge is is that wages are still lagging, you know, consumer inflation. However, I don't think we're going to see much movement with wages. Uh, Companies are certainly focused on their earnings. Even though they have job openings and they're trying to recruit talent, we're not seeing a lot of upward movement in wages right now. So my prediction would be that we'll just continue to see wage growth kind of stay at these levels um, just due to the uncertainty in the economic, um, you know, conditions with the market and, um, you know, just everything else that's going on, even in our world, um, that does create some uncertainty for employers. So I don't think we're going to see a lot more movement in that area.
3: So not keeping up, though, with inflation, right? I mean, we, we've seen decent gains, 5%, but we're looking at 8 9% inflation.
1: Right. Definitely not keeping up. And I think that's a real challenge for workers um, is that they are feeling it, you know, at the gas pumps, at the grocery store, you know, going out to eat or grab something. Everything is costing more. So their dollar isn't going as far. And um, I, I guess that leads me to the point of questioning why we're not seeing more people enter back into the workforce. I would think that that would be a trend to watch for in future reports. If wages kind of stay the same, but inflation continues to climb, I would expect that would participate in the labor force and actually want to get back to work. So that's something I'm going to be paying attention to in, in future reports. But right now, that remains a pretty big challenge for us.
2: So we're going to have a company earnings in, start in earnest next week, Joni. And yeah, I wonder if we're going to still hear – CEOs l- lament the fact that they can't hire, attract, and retain uh, the workforce that they need. Is that still a, a, a big, big issue for the companies you talk to? Yes,
1: yeah, so it definitely is. Um, there is a strong demand, really, in all sectors. Um, though we have heard over the last 30 days, you know, certainly some rumblings about layoffs in the tech sector, Um Or automotive but I think those um, are unique and you know unique circumstances across the board uh, the demand for workers is very strong and uh, their continued you know employers are really continuing to have challenges with finding workers and retaining their current staff you know the the actual quits rate is still at a a pretty all-time high people realize there are a lot of jobs out there thinking the grass might be greener. Maybe they could go somewhere else, make a little bit more money. They're not afraid to quit their job because there's, there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, but, but there's still a disconnect, too, with the skills gap in our country. Many of the jobs that exist today require specific education, skills, training. Um, and that's something that we need to get workers you know, up to speed with in order to meet that demand, um, not only for today, but certainly in the future.
3: Jenny, where are the biggest, uh, where are the biggest holes when you look out there at um, what employers want and what employees, potential employees don't have? I mean, I look, for example, at, um, you know, job sites and see that coders are making <laughs> four hundred, five hundred thousand $500,000 a year, and they're not even bosses. Um, but right. obviously, I can't code.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you could learn how to code. There's lots of opportunities I'm out there,
3: right? I'm way too to old. I'm way too
1: old. pick up a new skill. Coding is a great field to get into. I, I spend some of my time talking to uh, high school students and college students and giving them advice on, you know, what fields are going to be good. Of course, it needs to align with your interests by coding, um, anything really, the any IT or the STEM field.
3: My interests um, are getting paid 400000 or $500,000 a year <laughs> for typing all day. That That's an interest just, of mine.
1: But you, but you might never have that job satisfaction if you don't love to do it. So you've got to find that a combination, right, of, of both. Um, but, there's a, you know, there are, there is a demand in so many sectors. You know, truck drivers, they are making very good earnings and income, and we can't find enough truck drivers. Um, trade and transportation, that sector has 2 million open jobs.
3: Yeah. I mean, tr- um, truck so- driving literally aligns with my interests. But again, it's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, getting a commercial driver's license is – and driving a truck around with a big trailer is hard work. I can't even tow a lawnmower. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, you might be challenged but, but there are opportunities. There is training. Healthcare, again, you need specific training education experience, but such a great field to be in and obviously not going away um, as we have an aging population, Um, you know, the construction jobs have been picking up. I was looking at the data on construction jobs and there are more construction jobs today than there were this time last year. So um, really it's all across the board, the professional and business sector Obviously has a tremendous amount of opportunity, but there are also jobs, you know, the hourly jobs in leisure and hospitality, retail, you're not going to make 500000 a year in those roles, uh, but there are opportunities out there that don't require a lot of skills and can get you back to work too. So, um, you know, just tremendous opportunity. We really need the workers.
2: Absolutely. All right, Joni, <clears throat> thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Joni Bailey, Chief Workforce Analyst
3: at Employee Bridge.